Gaza gets pounded after a Hamas missile decimates a home in central Israel. Golan is official. All of this and more on this week's edition of Mideast News Brief. And good Friday to you all, and welcome to another edition of Mideast News Brief. I am your host, Winston R. Holland, and today we lead off with the latest on yet another, yet another controversy at the border between Israel and Gaza. Before we get to that, though, I think we need to first provide a backdrop of what transpired earlier this week, and then we'll get into where things are at right now because there's quite a bit of history, quite a bit of back and forth that's been going on to set the stage to kind of where we're at at the moment. But first, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, you can elevate yourself to a state of absolute ataraxy only, and of course only, when you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or yes, even Alexa. Just say, Alexa, Play Mideast News Brief, and you are off to your Middle East happy place, so please subscribe, and my apologies if I just triggered your Alexa device, and now this podcast is playing on this device, plus your Alexa device, my apologies. Also, please give us a like on Facebook at Mideast News Brief, and on Twitter, which is at Mideast Briefing. Of course, I'll have these links on the show notes of this broadcast as well. I really kind of stirred a hornet's nest on on Twitter a few days ago with this Palestinian activist. Oh, it was lots and lots of fun. I just merely pointed out the fact that what he was posting was basically justifying the murder of innocent Israelis. And when I say Israelis, I'm not just talking about Jews, because what he posted was basically saying that Israel does not have a right to protect itself in land it occupies, and so the connotation is, well, just sit and take it. You guys, you just got to sit and take it. I mean, it's insane. Instead of condemning Hamas, he's condemning Israel for defending itself since, uh, simply because he disagrees with uh, Israeli hegemony over that area. It, it, it's insane. And of, and of course, so after that, I try to point this out to him, and he sends me links. I try to point him, uh, point it out to him again, and he sends me more links about the conflict, and I'm finally like, our discussion here is over. And then for the next day, this crazy dude is just sending me link after link after link after link after link. I mean, I wasn't going to mute the guy, um, but I finally just turned off the notifications. It reminds me of that scene in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean where uh, Johnny Depp and Orlando Bloom's character are fighting. And of course, while they're fighting, they're having this kind of funny discussion back and forth. It was actually a really, really great scene. And, uh, and Orlando Bloom's character says, I practice for three hours a day so that when I meet a pirate, I can kill him. And uh, Captain Jack is, of course, like, you need to find yourself a girl, mate. That's how I felt about this guy. Oh, my gosh. Get a girlfriend, bro. Something. Uh, yes, he, uh, you, you got to find something better to do. And sending me, I, I think he sent me maybe at least 50, maybe 100 tweets. Like, you're not going to convince anybody of anything by sending them 8 million links. It's just not going to happen. 
okay, so anyway, so uh, enough about my adventures on Twitter. But, uh, oh, and of course, all the articles referenced in the show will be available for your own personal enrichment at MideastNewsBrief.com. Okay, so at 5.20 a.m. Monday, this past Monday, March 25th, 2019, Israel time, rocket sirens sounded when a long-range J-80 rocket was fired by Hamas operatives from the city of Rafah, in the Gaza Strip, which is basically on the border of Gaza and Egypt. Fired from Rafah, a J-80 rocket, into Israel. Now the question is, where in Israel? Some close by border town? Steret? Ashdod? Beersheba? No. I mean, that would have been bad enough, but no. It was fired, and get this, and of course, according to Hamas operatives, it was fired accidentally. Yes, folks, uh, accidentally. We can, of course, take uh, blood-spilling terrorists at their word. You know, it's kind of funny. How come no other nations accidentally fire rockets at other nations? Only, uh, this happens all the time. Gazans, Hamas accidentally fires a rocket into Israel. Really? It's kind of hard to do that by accident. That's a little bit different than uh, tripping over your shoes. Like, that's an accident. Firing a rocket at your sworn enemy that you vowed to destroy, kind of hard to do that by accident. You have to like set up the rocket, you got to get all your guys around, you got to light the rocket, and I, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too harsh on the uh, blood-soaked terrorist group Hamas. Maybe I'm being too harsh, but I, I tend to doubt when they say, that they fired this rocket by accident. I don't know. Maybe we should give them the benefit of the doubt, right? M- maybe, or maybe not. So, uh, so yes. Yeah, so, but it was fired supposedly by accident, all the way north of Tel Aviv, a hundred and twenty kilometers away. That's like what eighty miles or so. And get this. This is the. <laughs> directly hitting the home of a family of seven seven in the community of Mishmeret uh, and catching the home on fire and destroying it. Now, fortunately, no one was killed in this, quote, accidental attack. However, seven were treated for injuries. Uh, neighbors were understandably being treated for shock. I mean, could you imagine? You know, we kind of hear this stuff and, oh, Hamas fired more rockets on towns in Israel, blah, 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 another day, you know. Oh, how was your day at work today? Oh, it was fine. This is what happened. The boss said this, blah, blah, blah. Like, sometimes this is just like, imagine, imagine you're sitting in your home, right? And even if it doesn't hit your home, three houses, five houses down, a home gets decimated by some random rocket. And that's what that's what Israelis have to live under, especially if you are in the in one of those border towns with Israel and Gaza. That's what you have to live with on a regular basis. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And boy, I've been praying. I hope you'll join with me in praying for Israel, praying for Gaza. Pray that God's kingdom comes to the Gazan protesters, comes to Hamas, to the Gazan protesters. Because remember, the more he touches their hearts supernaturally, the less murder we're going to see. 
So pray for Israel, pray for Gaza, pray for the terrorists that they repent. So like I said, no one was killed in the attack. Seven were treated for injuries. This was a family of seven whose house that it, it, uh, uh, it hit, uh, including uh, there was a pregnant mother in there, small children in there. Uh, and they even found four dogs dead at the site. Uh, that's sad. Uh, obviously, that's not on the same level as a human, but that is just that is just sad. All of this, the destruction of the home, the injury of the people, the shock of the people, the death of the dog, the dog's just completely unnecessary. And so, I mean, you could imagine um, things have heated up between the two sides. Uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, he canceled his speech at APAC and returned home following his meeting with President Trump, who, and we'll be talking about this, officially this week on Monday, officially recognized Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights. Yes, thank you, Mr. President. That is long overdue, and it is time for Congress to do the same. We will get into the details of that as well as some analysis after we recap we are at where we are at on the Gaza crisis. Uh, I mean, don't I tend to not think that all of this stuff is completely separate. Um, Trump recognizes the Golan Heights on Monday, and the uh, rocket attack is on Monday. Coincidence? Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, They knew that was coming, and they knew that it was coming later that day, and so they did that. I I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, but there are conspiracies. There are conspiracies. Uh, The tough part is it's hard for us to know which ones are legit and which ones are not. Um, So, uh, as you can imagine, Israel has responded to the attack, although they have refrained from turning it into an all-out war. They began pounding Gaza with targeted airstrikes, specifically in Khan Yunus, which, if you're looking at the Gaza Strip, it's the bottom third of Gaza. I guess you could say, like, the the potbelly region of Gaza, uh, hitting a military base and a weapons manufacturing site, as well as other sites. Uh, So soon after those Israeli strikes finished, um, uh, a Hamas terrorist sent a rocket screaming to the Israeli city of Ashkelon, which is just north there, but fortunately, it did not hurt anyone or damage any property. Overall, about 60 rockets were fired from Gaza into southern Israel Tuesday evening as well. Um, so some other targets were struck. I, uh, <laughs> I hope that Hamas leader Ismail Haniyeh did not do much redecorating lately <clears throat> because his office was obliterated by the IDF. Okay, maybe I do hope he did a bunch of really expensive decorating. Uh, Also, they decimated military compounds. They decimated uh, an office used for military meetings. Uh, They decimated tunnel shafts that are used for the purpose of moving weapons and uh, as well as uh, rocket launching positions. I mean, they've been busy. The IDF has been busy. They haven't gone into an all-out war, and maybe for good reason, maybe not. We're going to talk about that in a second. 
they also apparently leveled the building Hamas uses as a secret headquarters. <laughs> I guess not so secret. It's a, I mean, <clears throat> the Israeli intelligence services are world class. I mean, if you think, if you're an enemy of Israel, <laughs> you think you're hiding something from Israel, Israel has proved time and time and again, they get intelligence. They did it with with Iran, uh, and they did it here with Gaza as well. I mean, they stole Iranian nuclear secrets to prove to the world that they were still developing a nuclear weapon. I mean, these guys are, Mossad is, 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 is top-notch. So, they leveled the building Hamas uses as a secret headquarters. It's a three-story building that houses their security and intelligence divisions. So, they use their intelligence to destroy the Gazan intelligence division. I, I don't gloat over deaths. I, I don't get excited over deaths. I do get excited about um, terrorist infrastructure being destroyed. That's what I get excited about. Because that is the very infrastructure, data, arms, um, routes, those things are used to kill innocent people. And look, if Hamas is firing indiscriminately into Israel, guess what? 20% of the Israeli population is Arab. Now, I know they could aim their rockets at you know Jewish neighborhoods and that kind of thing. I get it. But th- they'd be okay with that. They're fine with killing their Arab brothers. If it, if it makes a statement and gets uh, um, gets them what they need politically, so the IDF even released pictures of the ongoing operation before the strike and after the strike, and it's it's literally here was a building, for example, our friend Ismail Hania's office, and now it's just gone. I mean, it's gone, leveled, and I'll have these linked at midistnewsbrief.com. The the link to that to that article, but man, it's like here's the uh, here's the building, and it is no more. Here's the building, and it's, I mean, not even remnants. It's just like flattened, completely flattened. Uh, so, like I said, they've been busy. Uh, Netanyahu got back to Israel on Wednesday. If you guys weren't aware, APAC, the uh, American Israel uh, Public Affairs Conference, or oh my gosh, I should know the I should know the acronym to not. Uh, to that, but uh, so APAC had their big meeting on Monday, uh, beginning on Monday, big bipartisan meeting. Uh, most of the Democrat candidates for president skipped this. It is a very by people here, American Israel Public Affairs Committee, and they would probably think, oh, this is some pro-Israel, right-wing, pro-Israel, anti-Palestinian, blah, blah, blah thing. No, it is a very, very bipartisan uh, bipartisan event. I mean, you've got Republican leaders, Democratic leaders, you've got Republicans and Democrats taking pictures of each other saying, woo, we're, all, we're pro-Israel, blah. You know, I mean, so, uh, so it's really ludicrous that Democrat candidates for, for president would boycott this thing. Unless you are just pandering to the most radical Jew-hating supporters in your party. 
Israel-hating, Jew-hating, BDS, boycott, divestment, sanction, which is uh, the, the ultimate goal of BDS, of course, is to just completely destroy the Jewish state, not just to get a, a two-state solution or anything like that. They want Israel gone. That's why you boycott. That's why you divest, not invest, divest, and that's why you sanction, to cripple and ruin and destroy the Jewish state. So it, it is, it, it's saying a lot about where the American Democratic Party is going. Uh, there are, I, I know at least one, there was maybe another one who relented and, and decided to speak there, but I'm like, why was that even an issue? I mean, and, and how stupid is that politically? Like, you're alienating the, the Jewish community, which is, uh, which is a good block of the vote. Anyway, um, so Netanyahu got back to Israel on Wednesday, and uh, he canceled his speech at APAC, and here's what he said. Uh, per the Jerusalem Post, he said, We responded with great force. In the last 24 hours, the IDF destroyed major Hamas terrorist installations on a scale not since, I'm sorry, on a scale not seen since the end of the military operation in Gaza four years ago. He's, of course, referring to the 2014 Israeli Operation Protective Edge, when, once again, which happens over and over and over, uh, Hamas fired rockets at Israel, and Israel responded by protecting itself, by attacking Hamas. All right, and, you know, it, it really was, was something while all that was going on. I know the New York Times had this, had this ticker. Uh, you know, in their paper and on their website had this ticker, and it reported number of Palestinian deaths, number of Israeli deaths, and of course, the Palestinian uh, death toll was much higher. But the the connotation of that reporting was: see, Israel is evil, and the Gazans uh, are just poor, helpless victims of the uh, imperialist, colonial, colonialist, racist Israelis. Is really ultimately what the what the connotation was, and um, I, I'm sorry that that's not a that's not just looking at the sheer number of deaths in a battle tells you nothing about the the justification of of the war. That's what they talked about: was proportionality. It's got to be uh, the number of deaths should be proportionate. It should, it's like it's like socialism and war. Like if you're if you're having a war, each side has to have the same number of casualties. And look, I'm sad about every death on both sides of the conflict. Like that is a sad thing to me as a Christian. But you don't argue the justification of a war based off of which side has more deaths. I mean, if I think if we would have done that with like World War II. Does the death did the death toll on either side have make any difference with whether or not we needed to defeat Adolf Hitler and his minions? It had nothing to do with that. So Operation Protective Edge in the, in the media, the the leftist media, it's just uh, it was just ridiculous. Um, I honestly haven't looked uh, in this particular conflict. I haven't looked at. Uh, a whole, a whole lot of uh, uh, you know, hard left-wing media, but I did see some reporting on it, and I'm just going, you got to be kidding me. But anyway, uh, especially when I was doing a, a bit of research on Operation Protective Edge and the way they described it and everything. I mean, it's just, uh, 
it's just sad. Sad, unfortunately, the way uh, the media portrays things. Okay, so while all this tit-for-tat is going on, and I, I, I hate, I don't want to make that sound light. It's not a tit-for-tat. It's uh, rocket fire for, uh, uh, for rocket fire response. Um, so while this was going on, the United Nations and Egypt were attempting a diplomatic solution. Did I, say the, I hope I didn't say the United States. United Nations and Egypt were attempting a diplomatic solution to the problem on Wednesday. If you can't tell, I do not edit these. <laughs> I do not go back and edit these broadcasts anymore. So, uh, so uh, is that it's, it might as well be live. Might as well be live. I guess maybe unless I make just some colossal mistake, I'll go back and edit it. But uh, I haven't been doing any editing other than uh, the music. So... The UN and Egypt were attempting a diplomatic solution to the problem on Wednesday, and Hamas basically said they were calling for a ceasefire. The IDF responded that no ceasefire was reached and that the fighting would continue at any time. Why? Because we don't trust Hamas when they say, oh, ceasefire, ceasefire, now we want peace, when all that's going to do is give them time to reload and lock and load and keep firing rockets or sending incendiary balloons, or, or, or uh, uh, kites, or you know wh- whatever weapon of their choice to kill Israelis and to burn hundreds and hundreds of acres of, of Israeli land. As we saw last year, which we're going to get into what's going on, uh, what's coming up, what's coming up tomorrow. Tomorrow's a holiday. Tomorrow, tomorrow's a holiday in Gaza. How do you do, how do, you do holiday? Gaza style. Well, we're gonna find we're gonna find out, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned. The uh, the Egyptian delegation um, took the results of their meeting with Hamas to Israel for a meeting on Thursday, yesterday. So, I mean, for their part, they are attempting to broker peace, but it's kind of like attempting to have peace talks. With a hornet's nest, they are extremely aggressive and cannot be reasoned with. So we'll we'll see how this these peace talks play out. Uh, maybe it'll work. Uh, Israel and Egypt do have a permanent peace treaty that's been happening since, been going on since March 26, nineteen seventy nine. Incidentally, was forty years ago as of Monday. So um, uh, so they try. I think Egypt does want to bring peace to the area, but uh, ultimately you are dealing with a terrorist organization that wants to destroy the Jewish state, and they will not stop until Israel is destroyed and renamed Palestine, and the Jews are kicked into the Mediterranean Sea. From Remember, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be Free. Oh, and what is Mahmoud Abbas, the so-called moderate president of the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank, said multiple times, when there is a Palestinian state, there will be no Jew in Palestine. Very moderate. Very moderate. Very progressive, right? Very moderate. Very progressive. You can't have a progressive society and, of course, have Jews in it, right? Just like I saw this... uh, uh, queers for Palestine. Uh, I think we talked about it last week. 
They would be the first to go in a Palestinian state. You kidding me? They'd be the first to go before the Christians, before the Jews. You think they're going to be doing uh, gay pride parades in a Palestinian state? They are kidding themselves if they think Palestine is a friend to the LGBTQ community. Not one bit. And look, and, and as personally, as a Christian, I don't agree with that lifestyle, but I'm certainly not interested in anything bad happening to them. That would not be the case in a Palestinian state. All right, where was I? Yeah, so... (laughs) Excuse me. So we are in election season in Israel, and things are heating up. And, And what's interesting is that, really, thanks to Hamas, an election that was really about, you know, more domestic issues, has suddenly become all about military all about military might, all about foreign policy, all about how we deal with our enemies at our borders. And uh, uh, it's, it's changed. It's changed the trajectory. And honestly, I think that what happened this week is pretty much going to guarantee a Netanyahu re-election. It's going to guarantee that he's able to... So there's 120 seats in the Israeli Knesset, which is... Uh, you know, like our Congress. And um, I think Netanyahu's going to have no problem getting uh, at least 61 seats for the Likud and other parties that he's forming a coalition with. It's very different in Israel because you have so, you've got something like 29, I think, political parties that are running. And so no single political party is ever going to actually get a majority in the Knesset, you need 61 seats for, for a majority. So what you do is that you form coalitions with other parties. So the Likud will uh, form a coalition with other right-wing parties. And by doing that, they can get 61 seats and they can have a majority in the Knesset. So that's kind of how it, it's, it's pretty different how it works here. Um, I... You know, we it's almost like you end up with two parties, I guess, in a way. I, I could be wrong about that. I'm not an expert on Israeli elections, but it almost seems like you still, you've got the right and you've got the left. I mean, ultimately, you, you've got you got both sides. So, uh, it, it's a, there's lots of parties, but um, ultimately, you're going to have your, your right wing and your left wing. So, I, I think with it becoming about the military, Netanyahu is a hawk, not to mention the fact that with Trump officially recognizing the Golan Heights, uh, I saw a sur- I just saw a survey that most Israelis are think whether they like Netanyahu or not. Most Israelis think that that's going to benefit Netanyahu in the elections. And then you have this uh, military operation going on, and Netanyahu is of course seen as a military hawk and very good. Uh, in that realm, and not to mention the fact that when it comes to diplomacy, when it comes to world relations, Netanyahu has been kicking tail. I mean, he has been kicking tail in the uh, diplomatic realm, helping Israel to be friends with, with nations that have just 
historically uh, wouldn't even go into the same room with Israel. So all of this is happening, uh, this, this Gaza violence is happening amidst everyone running against Netanyahu for prime minister that wants to make him look like a buffoon, right, because they want to defeat him in the upcoming elections. Uh, there are a lot of calls for all-out war with Hamas in the midst of the political wrangling. And look, it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of hard for me to have an opinion on this. I am not a military expert. And I am not there. I do not have the intelligence that the IDF has, right? Plain and simple. So I'm not going to sit here behind this microphone in the U.S. And, and pretend like, okay, yeah, the Israeli military should do this, right? That would be uh, audacious, and, and it, would be, it would be out of line. I'm not going to do that, right? Now, look, you're running against Netanyahu. You're, you're a political opponent. You're, you are a military expert. You are there. You've been in government. You were a general, you, whatever. Okay, you know, fair enough. You think Netanyahu should do something different? Um, you know, you, you kind of have a right to speak about that, right? I don't. They do. So I, I'm not going to do that. But here's what I'm, I'm going to do. Um, a, as a civilian who tries to follow the conflict closely, here are a few things I would note about whether or not, given Hamas rocket attack, Israel should just like invade and take over. Okay, so I, I think this represents a few different perspectives. N- number one, Hamas is an enemy state at its border, constantly launching rockets on civilians indiscriminately. This includes pregnant mothers. This includes babies. This includes small children. I think that's important to note. (laughs) I think that's a factor in what we do here. You've got an enemy state constantly launching rockets. I mean, it's off and on. It's not every day, all day. It's off and on, causing the people of those border towns to live in terror. Number two, here's another thing I would say. When a state acts belligerently and attacks another state, the state under attack has a right to respond. And no, they do not have, uh, have to respond proportionally, like, like we talked about earlier with the Operation, Operation uh, Protective Edge in 2014. That is an idiotic standard made up by the leftist press to demonize Israel. You respond with as much force as is necessary to win the conflict while minimizing civilian casualties as much as possible. Hamas is a terrorist state acting belligerently against Israel. They have a right to respond, and they have a right to take out that terrorist state. Any nation that has an enemy on their border, has the freaking right to destroy that enemy should that enemy attack them. It is unprecedented in history that we're going to say, like that crazy dude on Twitter said, that because Israel is there illegally, they just have to basically sit back 
and take it. It is unbelievable. And that guy had the gall to respond back and say, I'm not promoting the murder of anybody. I just, I stopped talking to him. I, you know, I probably shouldn't have talked to him anyway, talked to him anyway, but uh, it, it's truly, truly remarkable. Okay, so that's pretty hawkish, right? Wow, Winston, you're, you know, you're, you're quite the, quite the military hawk. I mean, uh, no, not necessarily, but I, I think this is basic international norms. That, that if this was a situation with any other nation, including our own, we would have a right to uh, defend ourselves and to take out uh, a nation that is always trying to defeat us, always trying to kill our civilians, and is attempting to completely, that their ultimate stated goal written in their charter is the destruction of the Jewish state. All right, but number three, I would say this. Israel also has to think about its neighbors. Neighbors, right? Like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It ain't a beautiful day in Israel's neighborhood. It ain't a beautiful day in the neighborhood of the Middle East. It is in Israel, um, but there, there's no... Uh, it, it's a tough neighborhood. Or what was it... Uh, Eddie, Eddie Murphy's Saturday Night Live spoof of that, Mr. Robinson's <laughs> neighborhood. Ugh. Yeah, it, it's a bit more like uh, Mr. Robinson's neighborhood than Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. You've got Hezbollah camped out at the Lebanon-Israeli border, right? We know that they are, they're, they're building terror tunnels. They are, they are infiltrating. Their goal is to infiltrate and commit acts of terrorism on Israel. And not to mention terrorists in the Golan Heights, which we're going to get to in a minute. Um, And the Golan, of course, is sovereign Israeli territory. Then you have uh, all kinds of bad actors in Syria and Iran wanting to take Israel out. So, look, if, if Netanyahu takes the bait, it could tie up forces that won't be able to fully confront other threats on the North. We've got to look at this situation at a th- from a 360 degree angle. We've got to look at it from the from the 3,000 foot view. We can't just simply say, "Oh, Israel should just go in, decimate Gaza, get out, you know, whatever, uh, take over again, blah blah blah." Um, it's it's never it's never that easy. And look, uh, maybe Netanyahu should, and maybe he will. I'm not saying that he that he shouldn't or he wouldn't. I'm just saying I don't know. I'm saying that there are many, many factors at play here, and we we got to be careful before we kind of rush to judgment and say, oh, yeah, he should just uh, run in and do this, which like a lot of his uh, political opponents are doing. And look, again, they're running against him. Um, maybe they're right. Uh, I personally am, am not going to make that call. Either way, pray for the situation. And remember, Israel has to be very careful about striking Gaza. Uh, Hamas is, they are more than obliged to use its own people as human shields, and they've proven this over and and over again. Uh, So Israel really has two fronts it faces. I mean, number one, they've got the moral front, where they've got to limit as many human casualties 
as possible. And to uh, and look, I mean, Hamas will hide behind their own citizens. Hamas hides rockets in and underneath the floors of UN schools. Uh, you think those UN workers didn't know about that? Uh, they launch rockets from right beside hospitals. It, it, it's it's just the goal of Hamas is to is really to to up civilian casualty. They love the civilian casualty of their own people. And oh, I got to say, I've got to give props. There was a Gazan, a brave, brave, brave Gazan lady that spoke out against Hamas and basically and blamed Hamas, right, the the rightful uh, the rightful perpetrators of the, the poverty and the horrific situation in Gaza blamed Hamas, rightly so, for the horrific living situations. She was very brave. And after that video was released and after it went viral, um, unfortunately, Hamas shows up. Surprise, surprise. Here's the... Uh, there's a secret police showing up to take the person. Uh, well, from what I read, uh, her husband and one of her sons was taken away. Uh, pray for, pray for those people, because I'm sure it's not, it's not a good situation. But she called out Hamas. You know, I was at a political function here in the U.S. with a speaker panel on it. This was, this was about, gosh, this must have been four years ago. And one of the ladies that was uh, on this panel basically blamed Israel. Yes, this was a, a Muslim lady, Muslim-Palestinian lady. Blamed Israel for the treatment of women in Gaza. Blamed Israel for the treatment of of women in Gaza. Now, at, at the time, I wasn't as astute on the subjects as, as I am now. Not that I'm that astute now, but I'm working on it. Um, and so I was just, I was really confused. And of course, the thought that went into my head was that, um, and I wish I would have gotten up and said this, but uh, ma'am, don't you understand that Israel is not in Gaza? Israel is not in control of Gaza. Israel is not over Gaza. Do you know who is? Hamas! <laughs> That's who is. And in fact, Israel pulled out of Gaza in 2005. So Hamas has the ability to treat women well, to encourage its citizens to treat women well, to give them equal rights. Uh, it was just, it was, that, that was a wake up to the stupidity of, of the left here in the U.S. And, and all of the panelists that were there, they just didn't say anything. Yeah. They didn't say, yeah. They just kind of didn't say anything. These were the experts. These were the guys who should have spoken up, should have turned to this lady and gone, excuse me? That was, that, that was, a, that was a learning situation for me. That was a learning situation. Um, so they've got the moral front, and they've got the PR front 
where the international press is going to jump on any mistake they can, as well as make Israel just look awful in general. I mean, that's what that's what the um, the leftist Western just spineless press loves to do. So, um, you know, the, Israel is fighting many many fronts, and we'll see what actions uh, they take from here on out. So, okay, so here we are now, right? Um, as of this broadcast, a few things are developing. Uh, yesterday, Netanyahu visited the situation on the ground at the Gaza border border to assess the situation. Uh, soldiers, tanks, and even reservists have been called up and are surrounding the border. Um, and then later that night, which was last night, Thursday night, Gazan protesters have thrown approximately 500 explosive devices at the IDF. <coughs> what those explosive devices are is not exactly clear. But apparently no massive military operations are happening as a result right now that I am aware of, um, 1151 Eastern uh, United States time, Friday, March 29th, 2019. Um, so so that's basically where we are. We're, we're a bit at a standstill right now. Well, maybe not a standstill because there are a lot of Gazans that are not standing still. What are they doing? Uh, Palestinians are calling for mass border protests on the Gaza border. Why do you ask? Are they doing this? Well, remember we talked about how uh, uh, how you take a holiday in Gaza? Well, this is it. Saturday is now a holiday. We're not talking Christmas. We're not talking Easter. We're not talking Hanukkah. We're not talking... The Feast of Tabernacles, what are we talking? We are talking how Saturday, March 30th, marks the one-year anniversary of the, quote, Great March of Return, where Arabs protest Israel annexing land in 1976 in the Galilee region of northern Israel, which they call Land Day. Um, And apparently, right now, Arabs are trickling in for protest, and honestly, I, I do not know what to expect. I know some things to expect. I know there's going to be violence, right? I know people are going to die. I know Hamas is going to be glad when their own people die because the uh, idiotic Western media will report the deaths of their own people and blame it all on Israel. I, I So, I mean, there are some things that are predictable. It's like, I, I know that it's, it's going to be um, 12 o'clock in seven minutes. Some things are predictable, um, but in terms of how great of a flare-up it will be, will this turn into um, an all-out war with Hamas? Probably not. The odds are against that, um, but you, of course, I mean, you really never know, which is why we need to be in prayer for the region. Uh, we want people to turn to Christ, lay down their arms and accept peace. So, uh, and we don't want, because we know what happens with this kind of stuff. People die. People die. Um, so, I will be following these events. I've spent f- 40 minutes on the Gaza protest, but there's a lot going on there, and I felt like that was really the most important um, 
I do have to hit some other big news this week, but like I said, I will next week. I will be uh, I'll be chronicling what happens this next week and bring to you guys basically what happens from now until next Friday at the same time. But we're going to talk about some bad news um, and good news. <clears throat> so it's going to start with the bad news, and then it'll lead to the good news. So the, the bad news is basically this, is that is, uh, Israel uh, is basically claiming that Hezbollah uh, is setting up a terror network in the Golan Heights. So there's a Hezbollah operative that's accused of killing uh, U.S. troops that's establishing a terror network in the disputed Golan Heights. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Actually, March 13th, so from a couple weeks ago, but it's very relevant to this week. Um, Spotlighting threats the militant group poses to its security as the Netanyahu government pushes for sovereignty over the strategic area, which at the time, the official pronouncement, at the time of this article, the official pronouncement hasn't happened yet. The U.S. charged Ali Musa Dakduk with orchestrating the 2007 kidnapping and murder of five American soldiers in Iraq. But Iraq released him from custody in 2012 because of what officials said was lack of convincing evidence against him, which is kind of hard for me to believe that considering they're in cahoots with Iran and Syria. So we know Iraq is basically becoming a, a terrorist state. Despite the Obama administration pushing Baghdad to hold him accountable. There have been conflicting reports of the Hezbollah's commander's whereabouts since his release. On Tuesday, Israeli intelligence officials said Mr. Dakduk resurfaced on the Syrian-controlled side of the Golan Heights about six months ago and began efforts to set up a network of the Iran-allied militant group on its borders, eventually to launch attacks into Israel. Israeli officials said they hope exposing Mr. Dakduk's activities would pressure Syrian President Assad, to get the group out of the area. So, we know Israel's enemies are in the Golan Heights. Why is that important? Well, it's, it's important if, if you're Israel and you're, you're wanting to justify the, the annexation, which they have since 1981, of the Golan Heights, your enemies being in that territory is a good reason to do so. Remember, they captured the Golan Heights in the 1967 Six-Day War when invaders were using the Golan Heights to attack Israel. So if you're going to do that, land captured in war, especially when that when it's justified, is your land. <laughs> I mean, that's the way history works. I'm sorry, but that's the way history works. If you are belligerent against your enemy, like Israel's enemies were, in 1967, and you use a piece of land to make an invasion, uh, don't be, you, you can't be in a tizzy when when uh, when Israel decides to take that land so that it doesn't happen again. Pretty, uh, It's pretty straightforward. So as a result, Israel, this is from the Jerusalem Post the next day, March 14th, Israel issues complaint to UN over terrorists on Golan border. Israel issued a formal complaint to the United Nations Security Council over Hezbollah's recently revealed Golan project, 
which has positioned operatives along Israel's northern border. Israel's ambassador to the UN, Danny Dannon, on Wednesday wrote to council members stating that Israel, quote, will not ignore the conversion of Syria and Lebanon to a military front against us and will act with force against the aggression from Tehran, referring to Hezbollah's Iranian backers. Quote, Hezbollah is not yet recognized as a terrorist organization by the Security Council. I'm going to read that one to you again. Hezbollah is not yet recognized as a terrorist organization by the Security Council. I mean, what more do you need to be recognized as a terrorist organization by the UN Security Council? Despite a plethora of evidence of cross-border terrorist activity. So, Israel, they've got terrorists on in the Golan. They've got terrorists attempting to use the area around, use the Golan as a means of launching attacks on Israel. So, um, I mean, that is, it's just, look, it's simply phenomenal. that They, they would not, Israel would be, um, Israel would be nuts to give, uh, to give the Golan up. And they won't. They're not giving the Golan up, especially after what President Trump did. But I, there was a story about Gaza <clears throat> that I missed a few minutes ago that this is an important story. This is a very, 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 very important story. Because what it does is it highlights the reality of what Gaza, what Gazan terrorists want people to think and what the Western press, really what the Western press wants them to think. This is actually from May 16th, 2018. And this story is telling, very, very telling. Hamas terrorists at Gaza border surprised to hear media describe him a peaceful protester. Interesting. Gaza Strip. <clears throat> a member of the militant terror group Hamas who had been attempting to breach the Israeli border after the opening of the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem confessed he was surprised to hear dozens of U.S. media outlets describe him as a, quote, peaceful protester. Sources confirmed. The aggressive, quote, soldier of Allah, who has declared he will not rest until Israel has been wiped off the face of the earth, admitted he wasn't quite sure how to take the news that Western media had labeled him an innocent family man and unwitting victim of Israeli aggression. Quote, frankly, I want to get in there and kill as many of the evil occupiers as I can, he told reporters as he hit among women and children after hurling rocks and rolling burning tires toward Israeli soldiers stationed at the border. Quote, so to be called a peaceful demonstrator was a little off-putting. Don't I deserve more credit for my efforts? It's kind of embarrassing, really. What if my family sees that? He added. At publishing time, the Hamas terrorists had been surprised to learn the media had called him an, quote, unarmed demonstrator, in spite of the fact that he had clearly been armed with several weapons during the protest. Okay, I admit, I admit. This was a satire piece uh, put forward by the uh, illustrative Babylon Bee, but I saw that and I couldn't resist. Because, I mean, really, uh, the, there's truth 
behind this satire. If you follow the Western media at all, it's really a desire to downplay the terrorism of the Palestinians and to make the Israelis look as bad as they can. So there's your bit of satire for the day. Um, But let's see. What was I doing before I... Oh, yeah, here we go. So you've got, uh, like I said, you've got terrorists um, in the Golan Heights. But what did Trump do this week? I alluded to it earlier. Trump formalized, formally recognized the Golan Heights as part of the state of Israel. So this is a presidential proclamation. I'm just going to read it. Why not? Uh, Most of us really don't read um, kind of primary source government documents. This is very short, and but this is an incredibly historic occasion. Um, Israel has had control of the Golan since the 67 Six-Day War. They formally annexed it in 1981, and I believe we are the first to internationally recognize the Golan Heights, as part of the state of Israel, just like we were the first to formally recognize Jerusalem as the eternal capital of Israel. Now, it, I'm, I'm sure we're all shocked by this, but uh, the UN, sec- quote, Security Council, yes, that same Security Council that does not, uh, has not formally recognized Hamas as a terrorist group, they all condemned this and said it was horrible. Oh, no. Oh, no, the UN Security Council says it's bad, even though they don't call terrorist groups terrorist groups. So do we care? Do we care what the UN Security Council says about anything? Do we care about really what the United Nations says about anything? I I would love for the UN to be a legitimate organization, but uh, with the double standard in Israel, with the joke that is the Human Rights Council, with the joke that is the UN um, Security Council, with the joke that is the UN uh, Refugee Agency, uh, I'm sorry. It's hard for me to take it seriously as a legitimate international body. Okay, here's the presidential proclamation. It's really short. I'm just going to read it real quick. Issued March 25th, 2019. I'll have it linked at midisnewsbrief.com. Quote, The state of Israel took control of the Golan Heights in 1967 to safeguard its security from external threats. Today, aggressive acts by Iran and terrorist groups, including Hezbollah, in southern Syria, continue to make the Golan Heights a potential launching ground for attacks on Israel. Any possible future peace agreement in the region must account for Israel's need to protect itself from Syria and other regional threats. Based on these circumstances, it is therefore appropriate to recognize Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. Now therefore, I, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States of America, by virtue of the authority invested in me by the Constitution and the laws of the United States, do hereby proclaim that the United States recognizes that the Golan Heights are part of the state of Israel. In witness whereof, 
I have hereunto set my hand this 25th day of March in the year of our Lord, 2019, and of the independence of the United States of America, the 243rd, Donald J. Trump. So there you have it. We'll see if others follow suit. Other some interesting embassy news. Apparently, Romania is going to move their embassy to Jerusalem. But the Brazilians are kind of backing out. Brazilians were going to be like this huge ally in that regard. And now it's not maybe looking like it. So we'll see. You know, it's, it's politics. And all this stuff is going, to take, is going to take time. All right. I want to end off with some, some other good news. Right, y'all know, uh, if you've been listening to the show, y'all know right now one of my favorite verses to quote is Isaiah 19, 19 to 25, 26 or so, where it is talking about a highway. There's going to be a highway from Syria to Israel to Egypt. The Egyptians will worship, worship with the Assyrians. The Assyrians will worship with Egypt. Israel will be a third part. You know, it's... And they're all going to worship together. They're all going to be God's people. I still look forward to the fulfillment of that prophecy. Something that happened in some sense under Alexander the Great. I'm not so sure about that. I look forward to the fulfillment. And so when I see anniversaries like this, I think about, you know, this really could be, um, uh, I see it getting closer. I see it getting closer. So basically, on um, March 26, 1979, Egyptian President Anwar Sadat and Israeli Premier Menachem Begin uh, basically hit a big milestone for peace in the Middle East, a official peace treaty between Israel and Egypt that was 40 years ago on this past Monday, March 25th. That was my uh, phone there. I forgot to silence it uh, <laughs> before the broadcast. Boy, I was into this too. It was, it was a moment. It was a moment. <laughs> so 40 years ago Monday, the Camp David Accords, Anwar Sadat, Menachem Begin, and of course uh, President Carter was there to moderate between the two. It was the first official peace treaty between Israel and and an Arab country. Look, Sadat, and look, he was assassinated. He was assassinated for his desire for peace. A few weeks ago, I read that account, uh, that of uh, Henry Kissinger um, going to this uh, particular area in Egypt. I forget where he was, but he traveled with Kissinger, and he told Kissinger, look, up here, I'm going to put a church, I'm going to put a mosque, and I'm going to put a synagogue as a sign for, for peace and wanting peace. You know, it was just a few months after that, and uh, I believe it was October 81, that Anwar Sadat was assassinated. So, I mean, this guy gave, I mean, Sadat gave his life for peace and uh, deserves our respect uh, and remembrance in that regard. Um, so, yeah, so it was the 40-year anniversary of that peace treaty, and there's a great article I'm going to link to by AJC Global Voice. Uh, Forty years later, former Carter advisor reflects on Israel-Egypt peace treaty. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting article. I highly recommend you uh, uh, going and reading it. But for my 
Uh, quote of the day, so that, you know, they ask him a series of questions. Uh, for the quote of the day, um, I want to read his answer to the very last question. And it's not because I'm, it might sound like I'm trying to, you know, pick at the Carter administration or whatever. I, I'm not trying to to do that. Um, I was, I'm not a, personally a fan of Jimmy Carter as a president. This obviously was a, a victory for him. But I, I think uh, the answer to this last question uh, is is illuminating to helping really understand the uh, the complexity of of the Middle East, and that the middle you, you don't approach the Middle East like you approach the West. So here was the question they asked him. They asked him, despite this success, <clears throat> and I do I give Carter administration um, uh, credit for their for their success in this. Where did the Carter administration go wrong? His response. We made a mistake in the Carter administration thinking we could have comprehensive peace. It just didn't realize how much difference there was amongst all the Arabs. Uh, Brzezinski, Carter's national security advisor, acknowledged this. But when they came to office... They were focused on a comprehensive peace. Bring everyone together. Negotiate with rationale and logic. They'll come to a conclusion, walk away, and the lion will lie down with the lamb. One of the great shortcomings of the Carter administration was its misunderstanding of Arab and Middle Eastern politics. They, they were interested in transactions and the art of the deal. That's perfectly legitimate. But transactions that don't change attitudes or transactions that exist but are undermined by mistrust don't last. Do not last. All right, and that'll do it for this week's edition of Mideast News Brief. As always, you can find the show notes and articles linked at MideastNewsBrief.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you guys for joining us, and I'll see you right here again next week. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem and Gaza.